Hey there, and happy Easter from Amersfoort in Netherlands. I'm Father Roderick, and I'm glad to be back after a couple of crazy weeks here. Not only because of uh, the usual Easter business, which is busy enough, but also, of course, having to celebrate Easter in Corona times. I'll talk about all that in this episode of the show. And this episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons who support me over at patreon.com slash fatheroderick. I already pre-announced it in the last show, but starting this week, there will be a full-fledged podcast, a special podcast called Father Roderick to the Max, and it is recorded just for my patrons. So if you want to get access to that podcast, then I'll invite you to go over to patreon.com slash fatheroderick and sign up to become a patron. You can join at a very low level or you can, you know, contribute a thousand bucks a month. It's all up to you. <laughs> you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. Face it, Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. It is good to be back behind the microphone, and also it's good to feel some energy after a very exhausting Holy Week and Easter celebrations. Um, the reason that Easter and Holy Week was so exhausting was that I was in charge of all the internet's liturgy transmissions of two parishes that I serve as a part of the pastoral team. So we have uh, about 15 former parishes that have merged into two big parishes, and the churches of all these locations were closed for Holy Week and Easter. And uh, when our government started to announce this, this semi-lockdown, and also our bishops uh, closed all the churches until Pentecost. They did that at a very early stage. I think our, our bishops' conference has been uh, much more forward-thinking than in many other places in the world. Um, I knew that I had to do something. And having a lot of experience and also owning a lot of equipment that would allow me to stream masses uh, instead of uh, you know inviting people to just pray at home, um, I immediately started to, to build a a streaming setup here at the church. And for the past three, four weeks now, we've been streaming every major celebration. Not daily, that would be impossible uh, to organize, but definitely the, the Sunday Masses. And then, of course, all the celebrations of Holy Week. Um, very, very challenging. Every time we kept bumping into problems from, you know, not the church being too dark in the evening, um, audio problems, hooking up cameras, switching, software problems, uh, you name it, we've experienced it. And yet, the, despite all the, all the hurdles, we were able to uh, reach a, a lot of people during Holy Week, and we've received a ton of feedback from parishioners um uh, thanking us for for enabling them to feel this community with the church and, it, and it's so uh touching to see how much this means to people and how much they they miss coming together as a uh, as a community um but also how much they f they discover this new way of praying together and celebrating together through these digital means and of course I wanted to do something that looks a little bit better than, let's say, what a lot of parishes are doing. I've seen so many live streams where the audio is terrible, uh, where they're filming with a cell phone or where there's the light is, is terrible or, or just camera angles. Of course, 
parishes do what they can right now, but there are very few people that are trained in camera work. And so I was glad to be able to to do um, to deliver uh, streams that are actually that look like TV uh, TV masses. And uh, and even I was still learning while doing. Uh, the most challenging mass, mass that I streamed was, of course, the Easter Vigil with lots of extra elements. And uh, a uh, our, our pastor was the main celebrant, and he wanted to, to have a, f a little fire, even though uh, our, our bishop's conference is in the Vatican. It said, no fire, just light the candle, no procession. And he was like, but, but I... I want a fire. So he created this small fire on the altar in a little box filled with sand, and then he added some alcohol or something like that. But anyway, so every time I was like, okay, uh, how am I going to film this? And is this going to work? And I also discovered a lot about composition and uh, uh, how, how much uh, filming a mass or filming liturgy is different from, from assisting uh, at mass, as a you know, from the pews, it's very, very different, and there are so many other things that you need to take into account. I'll talk a little bit more about those challenges and also the technical solutions that I found in the tech segment of this show. Um, so, for every celebration, I had to be present, and sometimes I was celebrating mass myself, and I had to instruct Inge to change the cameras, and I, it was a little bit more limited to you know fixed camera positions. So, um, and then, of course, we don't have our regular choirs and musicians, and we're working with a very, very basic crew. Um, and, but it helped us to, to think about possibilities instead of just the constriction, the, the kind of the, the limited means that we have. But we just think, what, what can we creatively do to improve? And so every celebration uh, was better. And, it, and, and so if I look back at the first stream we did and then the, the, the ones that we did at Easter, it's a difference of day and night. And I think we st are still de developing lots of other ideas. One of the things I can al already tell you is uh, I've been streaming masses in English, or actually not just in English, but in multiple languages on Saturday evening. Uh, that was because initially I thought when we were starting to do this, it would only be for a couple of weeks. Now... We're pretty certain that this is going way beyond Pentecost. Even I don't. Th I think the churches will probably be the places that will be opened last. Uh, our our society is preparing to slowly start up again, but there will be this one and a half meter rule. So you have to keep your distances in any situation. That means that in church, we can't have a full church anymore. Even if the rules are starting to loosen up uh, after Pentecost, it will still be impossible to celebrate Mass the way we were used to. And so we're thinking ahead of, 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 of the situation and thinking, so how, how many people could we fit into the church with all the safety distances uh, respected? How can we involve the other locations? We have so many choirs, we have so many people that normally are involved in the liturgy. Can we, can we invite them to come over and join us and at the same time doing that in a very safe way? It, it also requires us to, to rearrange things in the church and uh, it's, it's, it's challenging, but it's also kind of fun to come up with new ways to reach people. And so uh, I'm, I'm thinking that this will probably be 
the streaming these masses, that's, that's something that we're going to do for months to come. And that's probably not just in our country. This is going to be worldwide. So I'm thinking this international mass that I was doing, and that was actually gathering quite, quite an audience on Saturday evening, maybe it is time to move that to the Sunday evening. And the reason being that on Saturday, that, that was normally the place that in this church we would celebrate mass. But now we're streaming Mass in Dutch on Sunday morning, so I'm not stuck with that Saturday evening anymore. If I celebrate International Mass on Sunday evening, that will be actually in the morning or in the early afternoon in the United States, in North America and South America as well. So imagine my fellow priest here, Mauricio, is from uh, from South America, and he's from Colombia. He's a missionary. What if we celebrate Mass with more Spanish elements in it, where we can switch between all these different languages? I think there is a, ter a terrific opportunity to reach, to gather an international community. And the second thing that I was thinking, how often have, haven't I read comments on YouTube specifically of people that said, if you had been my pastor when I was young and you, you would talk about Star Wars in your homilies, I'd still be a Catholic, or I'd still come to church. Now, of course, you have to take that with a grain of salt. But I'm thinking, well, what if we are already celebrating Mass on Sunday morning for regular parishioners? But if I move the International Mass to Sunday evening, then it's my Mass in a certain way. I can talk about Star Wars. I can't, you know, like integrate all these more geeky references because I would be talking to an, an audience that is very different from my regular parishioners that are kind of on the older side. And I think that's something that doesn't exist. So it would be much more, maybe the tone of voice would be more like, like this podcast. Like, and, and, and I think that could reach a different group of people that are not served, because one of the things that I was asking myself, well, why even do an international mass? If you, know, in Nor if you look at, at how many masses are streamed right now in the United States, I mean, and it's, some, it's done with way more resources, and it's, uh, why, why would I still do a mass in English? Well, not because people have a have a not because there is a lack of masses in in English or other languages, but what could make it unique and valuable uh, and a contribution to the to the church in general is if it would be a mass with you know a language, but also um, let's say. Uh, points of references to to modern culture to to even pop culture in the same way I do that I do it in my podcast I, I I've done that for for 15 years but I've never been able to do that in in for for masses or for homilies because if I talk about Star Wars and I, I make references to Harry Potter my parishioners are gonna look at me you know like like their eyes are going to glaze over and it's like what is he talking about we don't know that stuff <laughs> so anyway I'm just thinking out loud but I, I, it's going to be very interesting. Another thing that I've been doing uh, or developing in these uh, weeks uh, surrounding Easter is um, online liturgy for kids. I think that children are forgotten in this whole corona situation. Uh, and we need, as a, ch uh, the church needs to be close to the children and their families as well. And just streaming mass, that may work for some very pious families. Uh, but 
also it wouldn't work for a lot of families. And so I've been developing this uh, um, kids liturgy with stuffed animals. Very simple. I just bought a couple of stuffed animals and I came up with a story and I, I recorded as a, an audio track and then I, I filmed everything with my phone. It was way more work than I thought it would be. But I was thinking, well, you could do like a Catholic Sesame Street type of program. Why not? Um, so the first episode I made, I made one, it's kind of like a house liturgy, so it's not mass or anything. But you have a, you have a couple of animals and they go to church and then there is a bear who is the pastor of these animals and and so uh, you invite children to light a candle and to write down their intentions to pray that our father together uh, the gospel is read there's a little discussion uh, between the uh, the pastor and, and the other animals um, and that's it 10 minutes 12 minutes stop and it works uh, at the same time I've learned a lot from doing the first episode and thinking, oh, we need to simplify this. And um, maybe maybe this is why Sesame Street and The Muppet Show, they always work in a horizontal plane. Like I was doing super complicated stuff with filming from both sides and then, you know, focusing on, uh, like I, I create, I put the animals in a, in a circle and then I would move the camera around. But that requires you to do so much editing. Um, whereas if you look at The Muppet Show, if you look at um, uh, Sesame Street, a lot of these puppet moments are filmed in a horizontal plane where you just have you know, a puppet on the left and then one on the right. Why? Because it's just one puppeteer with two hands, and then the camera just films the entire thing as is, uh, instead of uh, cutting. It, there may be a few cuts in the camera, or the camera may zoom in on, on, on some of the animals, but everything is horizontally filmed. Um, I, like Now I understand why, because it is so much easier to produce. The other thing that I totally forgot about was that it is kind of hard to do both the puppeteering and the filming at the same time. Like, I only have two hands. I was like, oh, gosh. That is that is something that we have to really think through for the next few episodes. But I think the the concept as such really works to do something that is fun. That it, there there was a lot of humor in it, but also some more serious stuff. You know, you read the the the, the gospel, but then I had someone uh, write texts for for these for these uh, animal shows where. Uh, she put the gospel, uh, so, but made it rhyme. So it's like kind of like a poem. And that made it much easier to read and much more fun. And so still thinking about how to, how to pull this off in the long run. Um, but I think, yeah, we, we need to think a, a little bit more about the children and about their families and how to engage them. And you can't tell people to just go watch a stream, a liturgy stream with mass, uh, uh, you know, on their laptop. That's not going to work for, for most kids. So anyway, just, again, thinking out loud, developing stuff. It, it, it Really, these times are challenging because I have so many ideas and so many creative ideas. Um, the downside is you'll, a, a day, even in corona times, only has 24 hours. And so um, it is really about rearranging my my available time also, I have to be very careful, just like you probably at home, when you're working from home, you have to be extra careful with your balance, your life balance. It is such, uh, 
it's such a risk to just overdo it. Um, but for instance, uh, online meetings, you know, it, it sounds like something that is so much easier than meetings in real life because you don't have to, you know, you can just sit there in your pajama trousers and you just put on a suit for the upper half of your body. <laughs> but I've noticed, and, and many, of me, uh, uh, many of you probably also noticed, that, that if you do meetings online using, for instance, I don't know, Microsoft Teams or Google Hangout or, or Zoom, it is, it, it's taking like five times the amount of energy. It's extremely fatiguing to do that. Um, and everything that I do in terms of co uh, communication with the team, the rest of the Tridio team, also with my colleagues here in the parish, it's all done online. And so I'm just constantly writing emails and keeping everyone in the loop and then there's whatsapp and then other people use uh a facebook messenger um like right before i started this recording there was a journalist in the chat and said you still haven't answered my email and uh, yeah it's an interview request and i've received uh like multiple interview requests every single day of holy week um, and I understand because they also want to tell their stories. And uh, But I had to really choose where do I put my energy? What is essential and what is something I can do maybe in the long run, maybe if I have some extra time. But right now I was just, so, there was so much that I had to choose. And I had to force myself not to feel guilty about the stuff that I just let go. I, you know, there, there were so many calls, so many emails that I didn't respond to. Just because even just responding to all that email and all those invitations is just requires extra, extra energy. So, um, yeah, challenging times. And the only way I think to survive is to focus and to choose and to just let go of the rest. I probably need to go watch Frozen 2 <laughs> because let it go. Let it go. Speaking of movies that I have to watch, it is time for our first uh, segment of the day. Or, well, actually, the new segment is the first segment of the day, but we need to talk about movies and TV shows. And, well, we're watching a lot of Netflix these days, don't we? And so I want to give you some uh, reviews, some tips, maybe movies you want to check out yourself. And uh, we'll talk about some cancellations as well, because, well, that still goes on. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. All right, let's start with the cancellation. The Messiah has been cancelled. <laughs> How ironic. This was made public right before Easter. There was this show, and I reviewed it uh, a couple of episodes ago, where um, the, uh, the, the, the theme or the, the idea behind the show was that there's this guy who shows up in the Middle East, and you never you, you, he kind of presents himself as a new messiah. And there are some stuff... There's things happening that look like miracles, but on the other hand, it's kind of like the X-Files. It, it, there are also natural explanations for what happened. So you're constantly wondering, is this a real messiah? 
are the, are these real miracles or are there just you know regular explanations for this is just just a political guy and so i thought it was very well done it was filmed in all these amazing places in the middle east um and yeah i love i love the premise i love that ambiguity um that you know is this is this really supernatural or not and i thought they they really did a good job finding that that balance however apparently not enough people were watching it and so the second season uh, and subsequent sequence seasons have been canceled which is super frustrating because you never will get an answer to the question was he a real messiah or not was it supernatural or not oh i hate it when shows get canceled without a wrap-up episode um one series that did get a wrap-up episode was uh tiger king um which i also reviewed after seeing the first few episodes of the show now i've watched the entire series like almost everyone on the planet and uh just yesterday i watched the extra episode that they produced for netflix um where they went back and interviewed some of the main characters in the show the funny thing is of course while they were producing this documentary um uh, most people involved had no idea that this would become the biggest documentary ever made. It is, it's been watched by millions and millions of people. It is more popular than Stranger Things. Can you imagine that? So this has done more for Netflix than Stranger Things, which probably had a budget that was like 10 times the budget for, 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 for you know. So the entire budget for Tiger King is probably not even 10% of the budget for one episode of Stranger Things. I'm just kind of like making that up. But... Um, and now in this final episode, they, they went back and all these people have become celebrities, including the bad guys. And it was interesting to hear how they had experienced it. Um, they, they were very wise to choose um, just a regular entertainment interviewer. Um, I, I didn't know the guy. It was pretty funny. Um, instead of uh, having the documentary makers do, do the interviews, because a, a few people were very upset about the way they were portrayed. And you could sense, and that's why uh, there was, was quite a bit of... of, of uh, there were quite a few negative reviews of this final episode, saying, well, it's so different from all the other episodes, and it's just some Skype calls, basically. Um, but Gibbs, why would you do that? Well, I think it's extremely interesting to see this because you, you it teaches you how much of the documentary was actually storytelling where and this is very common in the entertainment world and so also in the documentary world where the the makers choose they choose what they want to show you but they also discard a lot of stuff and they tell stories not and they don't necessarily want to give you a journalistic wholesome very balanced view of what actually happened no they will give you you know a a hero who's also a bad guy like that's the tiger king himself joe exotic and then you have his arch nemesis and that's this woman who also has her tiger protection zoo and she probably has a very nuanced story to tell, but they only show her as the person 
who is being persecuted by Joe Exotic, but also has this own her own mystery of her former hus- husband who has disappeared. Maybe she uh, she fed her husband to the tigers. They don't try. They don't even try to 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 give a balanced uh, portrayal of 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 this woman um, because she has a role to play in the story. And there are other characters that are introduced in the show. Um, there is this. Uh, um, this person who is who works for Joe Exotic, and who's constantly being referred to during the show by Joe Exotic and some of the other characters as she, and well, she looks like a like a kind of a tomboy uh, woman, but it turns out afterwards that she identifies as a he, so uh, and and doesn't even want to get labeled as a transgender person, but so it's like. That is a that's an aspect that they deliberately choose chose not to explain or not to um, go into during during the documentary. But in the, in the the wrap up episode, uh, you get a little bit m- more background, and you're like, well, why would they leave that out? Well, it's probably because of storytelling reasons. Um, there are these these other. Um, People that are deal, dealing in the are are using these tigers to make money. Um, some of them are portrayed as you know good guys. Others as you know very uh, manipulating uh, uh, money makers. And but 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 uh, if you if you if you look at the interviews afterward, you re- you realize that there's actually much more to these people, and that what you thought you saw is not actually what happened. Uh, and it's it's something that's extremely important to keep in mind when you're watching anything nowadays. There is always a frame. There is uh, political storytelling is also uh, is storytelling. The whole way I'm I'm following the the whole pol- political process in the United States for a couple of years now, and it's so interesting to see that every network tells a different story. You can have one event. But it's a it's a different difference between night and day. If you watch the coverage done by Fox, Fox News on the one hand, or MSNBC on the other hand, they will give like totally opposite narratives of the same event, and and both sides are framing. Both sides are telling a story, and not necessarily a balanced, objective uh, narrative of 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 the facts. The same happens in with regards to the Catholic Church. Um, if take someone as Pope Francis, um, there are there are certain groups of Catholics. Um, a lot of them are active in the United States that have a an extremely negative idea of Pope Francis. They totally dislike the guy. Um, they they accuse him of. Uh, uh, heresy of destroying the church, etc., um, etc., et and everything they publish about Pope Francis is is in that frame. Like Pope Francis is a bad guy, even if he does good things, we're still going to frame it in such a way that there is at least doubt as to his intentions. And then you have on the other side. You have the fans of Pope Francis, the the people that 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 actually read into what Pope Francis says and does way more than Pope Francis actually intends to uh, to say or do. For instance, the whole 
uh, post-synodal uh, document that he wrote after the synod on the Amazon. Um, there, was a, there was a lot of framing happening on the other side as well, where, oh, he's going to abolish uh, celibacy, uh, we're going to have women uh, deacons, uh, and, and Pope Francis is, is, is just waiting for the moment to make all these radical changes. And then it turns out that Pope Francis is not changing much there. And he comes up with... Uh, you know, a much more moderate approach. And then they're they're framing it in such a way, well, well, Pope Francis wanted to introduce all these novelties, but there is way too much opposition. He's being manipulated, and there are some bad guys in the Vatican that are, with, are frustrating his efforts, and uh, Cardinal Sarah and Pope Benedict, they've been conspiring together to to uh, try to derail Pope Francis in his courageous, you know, effort to reform the church. And it's like, Okay, frame number two. <laughs> As usual, the truth is somewhere in the middle. You always have to use your own brain and think, you know, okay, what is the story that the channel that I'm following uh, is trying to tell? The, 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 the objective journalism is hard to find nowadays. And it doesn't mean that... that you have to mistrust everyone, but you always have to be aware that 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 the news nowadays, especially in our Western world, the news is also storytelling, and who is telling the story, and what's the agenda of of the person or the or the entity that is reporting you the news and it's telling these news stories, and and well, if you have that in mind, and and in that respect, Tiger King is a very interesting uh, documentary. And, if, and especially if you see the, the broader context, okay, so what did they leave out? For instance, something that they didn't tell you is that the, the tiger, this is Joe Exotic, um, often sings. He sings songs during the, uh, the, the, the documentary. What they only tell you in the last episode is that it's not actually him singing. He just hired another one, a guy who is singing all these songs, and he's just playbacking. Um, that's pretty vital information. They may totally make you believe that he's singing all these songs. Maybe to just make him even larger than life. Well, that's actually not, it didn't really happen. And so there are, and, and just like uh, even the documentary makers themselves have said afterwards in interviews, hey, we we knew that if this once this documentary came out, we would lose our access to almost everyone who is involved in, in this story. They don't say that by accident. They say this because they know that they are telling the story, leaving out a lot of the stuff. And so they do frame people, and they do make people larger than life. And they are creating bad guys and good guys. The same happens in cooking shows like MasterChef. Don't believe for an instant that what you see on MasterChef is the reality. They're, they are creating stories of heroes and, and failures. Of you know, They're dramatizing almost everything that happens. If you would be there while they're cooking, it's just probably you're just watching a couple of very motivated people cooking stuff and it's all pretty good. But that doesn't make for good television. You need to have huge successes, geniuses, and you have to have the total rejects and the people that are totally messing things up and oh, everything is, 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 made, made, is made bigger for the sake of storytelling. If you know that that is the way television works, then it helps you to form your own opinion um, 
And just never just believe what you see, thinking that that is the truth. All right, final review. The movie Yesterday. This movie popped up on, um, I think, on, on Netflix. And I've been wanting to see this in theaters. I just didn't have the time. It tells a story about a guy who is, you know, a good amateur when it comes to music uh, making. And so he he has his uh, gigs in, in bars and on parties. But, you know, and he's not bad. He knows how to sing. He knows how to play the guitar. But it's nothing special. And he really wants, he's like on the verge of giving up. You know, this is never going to work. Just let me just get a regular job. And uh, his parents, too, are very skeptical about his own mu musical ambitions. And then he gets literally hit by a truck or by a bus, I think. And when he wakes up, he wakes up to a world where a number of things have been radically changed. One of these things that have changed is that nobody has ever heard of the Beatles. Nobody knows their songs. And so what he do, does then is he starts to position himself as the author of all these famous Beatles songs. And it's a, it's a genius idea. It's like a parallel universe in a certain way. And then he uses his own knowledge of the Beatles and all these songs to completely recreate his own musical career. And of course, he becomes a phenomenon. Because these songs are so good. What I loved about this about the movie is that it it shows you how people react to to these Beatles songs that are so familiar to all of us. You hear you hear uh, "Hey Jude," and you're like, "Oh, that's the Beatles. I love that song." But in this movie, it's like no one has ever heard these songs, and it made me appreciate so much more the genius of these songs and how incredibly revolutionary the Beatles were in what they brought us and uh, there are just moments where I just choked up you see people react to to you know yesterday all my troubles seem so far away and you see people just getting all emotional it's like oh that's the most beautiful song I've ever heard and then you're like but actually this is one of the most beautiful songs ever written um, uh, you have this this guest role of uh, Ad Sheeran who is this fantastic song singer songwriter? Right, he's always you know in the in the, in the top ten of the, all the charts. And Ed Sheeran hears this other guy singing this Beatles song, and they do like a sing off, like like uh, let's just come up with a song, and then the, we'll let the audience vote who wrote the best song in in I don't know half an hour or something like that, and then. Ed Sheeran is singing this song, which is really cool, a really good song. And then the other guy sings a Beatles song, and you're like, oh, wow, this is like a hundred times better than anything we've ever heard of Ed Sheeran. I was actually surprised that Sheeran volunteered to be in this movie because it really shows how much better the Beatles are. <laughs> so it's actually a very humble thing to, you know, to... to, 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 to uh, collaborate with a story that actually shows the world that you're definitely not as good as the Beatles. So anyway, highly recommended. I, I enjoyed this movie so much and I really, really afterwards wanted to listen to all the albums of the Beatles. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. So go check it out. The movie is called Yesterday and well, at least here over in Europe, it is available on Netflix, but maybe 
where you live, it's... You have to look for it elsewhere. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at The Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about uh, the Catholics and their faith, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And as I do from time to time, I uh, answer questions of people that follow me. And today I have a tricky question. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. I have a question that was asked in, um, uh, what's it called? This service that I use, uh, the name Discord on my Discord server. So for those of you that are patrons, you, you may not know that I've added access to a special Discord server. Discord is a, an app that you download. And if you are a patron, you get, uh, you get the keys to the Discord server. It's like a protected environment where you can chat with other patrons and you can chat with me. And so that's where I get uh, more and more questions from time to time that I can then answer here on the show. So yet another reason to go check out the Patreon site over at patreon.com slash fatherodrick. little ad here. But um, uh, bravo1138, um, and that's of course a uh, uh, Star Wars reference, asked a, a question that I thought I, I, I need to answer this on the show because this is something that a lot of us have experienced uh, in one form or another. Um, he said, or he or she said, I think it's a he, um, what do I do if one of my best friends starts ranting about religion and says that it's a cancer and it's something horrible and how can someone believe? What do I respond? It's my friend who is attacking something that is dear to me. And I think that that um, those of us that are, that are uh, believers have have experienced this uh, in one way or another. Maybe it is, I don't know, your brother who's hypercritical towards faith or maybe your parents if, you're convert, if you've converted later on in life. Maybe it is a colleague at work or, you know, or, or someone that you just really like on TV and then all of a sudden that person, pro, you know, is, 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 uh, is, you know, answering questions uh, in an interview and starts to to spout all this negative comment, commentary on faith or on the church or on Catholicism in general. What do you do in such a case? Well, the, the, if, if you ask me, what do I say? My answer would be, first, don't try to say anything. Just let that person just rant. Um, and, and keep in mind that even though that person is attacking something that is very dear to you, it is not criticism directed to you as a person. That person is criticizing what he or she believes the church to be, believes faith to be. But that is not the same as what you believe faith to be, what you believe the church to be. Because you have a totally different experience. That's why it hurts when someone starts attacking your your faith or, your, or the church that you belong to. You have a totally different story to tell. And that's legitimate. And you have to give yourself the freedom to have your own perception 
of of faith and of of what the church does or doesn't do. Um, that person who is criticizing, you know, someone who calls faith a cancer probably has had very different experiences than you have had. And you don't know exactly what makes someone lash out. But if there is something that I've learned from watching too much TV, <laughs> especially I'm thinking of the series Once Upon a Time. You remember that one where... Uh, the, 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 the series would be based on um, fairy tales happening in our real world in a certain way. But the, the, what, what that series did so well is that it showed us that every bad guy, uh, whether it's an evil witch or wizard or, I don't know, an evil knight, a pirate, uh, there is always a reason why they do what they do. And uh, what I loved about Once Upon a Time is that it uh, it gave you basically the background of why the 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 bad people in in stories in in fairy tales are you know have become like that. Why do they lash out? And if someone is aggressive, uh, uh, tries to destroy others, it is usually because that person was hurt. And the bigger the evil the bigger the internal hurt, the, the bigger the pain and the suffering that that person is carrying. So if someone calls faith a cancer, you can bet that something happened in the life of that person regarding faith or an experience with the church that has hurt them, that has made them suffer. Otherwise, you know, if, if, if nothing ever happened, if, if you, you've never been hurt by the church why would you call it a cancer there is a reason for that so that's the first thing to keep in mind that person is not attacking you that person is trying to deal with something that hurts inside and the more aggressive someone is the more you can bet that something happened and that is the sort of the second the first thing you need to do is re resist the urge to defend yourself, to defend the church, to defend God, to defend faith. God doesn't need you to defend him. <laughs> um, the church doesn't need you to defend the church. Don't worry about it. The church has been around for 2,000 years, and it will be around for many more centuries. It doesn't depend on you uh, taking up the sword to defend uh, the church. It's kind of like in the in the story of, um, of the passion of, of Jesus when... Jesus is arrested, and then one of the apostles takes the sword and cuts off the ear of one of the guards. And Jesus says, don't do that, you know. Who takes up the sword will perish by the sword. So there is something to learn, I think, from the meekness of Jesus. It's an old-fashioned word, but I think it's this meekness is, is just, just let it go. Um, the future of faith and, and God's future does not depend on your defense of it. Um it, it, that's different from explaining why you believe. You know, sometimes you you will be uh, requested to to um, to to how do you say that to to uh, to witness to explain why you are a follower of Jesus. So there are moments of courage where you have to do that. But in most of these cases, always keep in mind that that person is is not attacking you or faith in general or God but his or her perception 
of faith and the church and God. People get hurt in life and then they project that on God or on the church. Uh, and sometimes stuff, evil stuff has happened in the church. Can you really blame someone who has been abused by a priest or something like that to, to be anti-religion? What if, you know, there is something who, uh, something that happened not to that person, but to one of his family members or, or friends, and that person hurt, hears about that? You know, that, that could be a very good reason for that person to reject, reject a church. And I think that, you know, God totally understands that. Um, so, uh, scandal, suffering can be a very valid reason, I think, for someone to reject a church for the time being. That's another thing you have to keep in mind. There is no religion that loses its adherence faster than atheism. <laughs> you always have to remember that atheism is something that is very trendy, but it also is something that a lot of people don't maintain for the rest of their lives. It is very hard not to believe because I, be I think that God has given us these antennas for his existence and for his presence. Um, and it's very hard to circumvent those. And to, to uh, you know, these hardcore atheists are hard to find, actually. So it could just be a phase in their lives. Just trust that God will be able to reach them, even though you can't in this, in this moment in their lives. Maybe first healing needs to, needs to take place. Different experiences that will show them a different side of the church and of faith. Maybe it'll take decades to heal. You don't know. What I do know is that sometimes if you lash, lash out yourself, if you hit back, if you use that same aggression, that can just confirm someone. You see? All these Catholics are horrible. Look at that, how that, someone, that person is not respecting my choice to be an atheist. You know? So I think it's Fulton Sheen, Bishop Fulton Sheen, who said that. Always keep in mind that that person is not attacking you or the church, but attacking what they perceive the church to be. And that's a very different thing, thing sometimes from what the church really is, or at least what the church is from your point of view. Here, too, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. The church is not uh, uh, perfect, and not every priest is a saint. Far from it. And not every believer is always super, you know, um, uh, how would you say that? Um, I'm looking for the word in English. Consequent in, in Dutch. Um, not, not every... Catholic who says that he believes in this or that will act upon it. Um, so, uh, if you look at your view as a faithful, as someone who believes, uh, does it mean that you're always uh, exemplary in, in, in the way you act? Uh, do you always do what Jesus wants you to do? No. You make mistakes. You sin. So, that can hurt people. That can, that can be a scandal for other people. The fact that you're not always doing what you say you do. Um, so be humble in this respect. Uh, consistent. Thank you, Ansgar. Uh, many faithful are not consistent. Um, and, and so, well, 
that may be one of the reasons that people are 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 turned off when when it comes to the church and when it comes to faith. Just try to be a saint, and try to have a, a try to have a, lo- a lot of room in your heart and a lot of faith in God. That even someone even someone who is attacking you and slashing out can maybe can still heal. If eternal life is there, we're gonna bump into each other one of these days or one of these centuries, and we'll have to get along. So why not already? To keep that in mind, you know, in the future, sometime in God's time, this person and I will be friends. <laughs> if, if, if you believe that God is able to save everyone, then, well, you should be, you, you should, you should be meek. You should be, uh, you should have a lot, uh, you should have a lot of patience towards people that are attacking your faith. All right, time to move to the world of books. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I thought that this corona time would enable me to read like five, to five books a day. Everybody's like, oh, I have so much time now. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to learn a different, a new language. I'm going to read books. I'm going to clean my house. I'm going to paint my walls. None of that. It, it's... I have less time than I had before this whole corona thing. And I still want to be consistent, consistent with my, the challenge that I set myself to read one book every week, but I'm falling behind. I'm behind on schedules. I'm trying to kind of catch up in the weeks to come and, and read more. Um, I try to make it easier on myself by not not starting with another 600 plus page book, uh, you know, uh, from the Wheel of Time. Or I need to catch up quickly, and I need to read books that are easy to read. So I started to read a book based on a movie. Well, actually, no, it's the total opposite. It's a movie based on a book, and now I'm reading the book because I love the movie so much. The movie is Edge of Tomorrow. Um, or I think it's like <laughs> rinse and repeat. They renamed that movie for whatever obscure reason. It stars Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt, I think. Uh, John Krasinski's uh, wife, uh, the guy from The Office. So uh, anyway, a fantastic movie. It is so good. Oh, it, it flopped at the box office for some obscure reason. But I just rewatched that movie. A couple of days ago and i love that movie it's just i want to rewatch that movie i just, the moment i watch it i want to rewatch it again so it is kind of like groundhog day for me i i, I can't get enough of that movie what so it tells the story of this guy who is actually um working for the american uh army and he's sent to i think to europe to report on a, uh, a fight between mankind and aliens. So aliens are invading the planet. And for some reason, it's very hard to conquer these aliens. So he is sent to the front and then gets actually into the battle himself um, and dies. And then he wakes up. And be, but right before he dies, he kills uh, like a very big alien, like a bluish one, um, very different from all the smaller aliens that are killing soldiers all over the place. And he wakes up and he relives the same day 
And then he gets killed again, and he relives the same day, and he gets killed again. And then at one point, he 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 uh, meets this mythical uh, soldier played by Emily Blunt, uh, who is so good at killing these aliens. And then at one point, she tells him, "When you wake up after you die, go come and see me." So she knows what he's going through. It's so good. It is so good. And then that, well, of course, I'm not going to spoil the entire movie, but man, it's such a good story. And um, it's so it's based on a book called Edge of Tomorrow, and it's written by Hiroshi Saru Sakura. I rehearsed his name. I can't, still can't pronounce it. Sakurasaka. That's probably Sakurasaka. Yeah, Hiroshi Hiroshi Sakurasaka. All right, and so it's based on a, a Japanese story, and it's so fun to read the this Japanese version of the same story because, of course, it, of course, this this is starring all all Japanese people, and so the main character uh, played in a movie by Tom Cruise in this story is just a Japanese soldier, and so there are a lot of differences with the movie, and on the other hand, they do keep a lot. The movie did keep a lot of the elements from the book, and uh, so it's a story that you you think you know, but then there are every chapter there are things happening that's like, oh, I wish they'd put that in a movie, or wow, this is so cool, or oh, I really I thought the movie did a better job here than the book, um, but it's fun. It's kind of like a parallel version of the story you know from the movies. I've heard that they were developing a sequel to Edge of Tomorrow, so a movie sequel, um, but I guess because of Corona, because of stuff happening in the world that has been on hold for a while now but i still hope that they're going to do a second movie because i think th i think they can i think th th this is this is such a powerful idea um and then of course you know it's just like um uh independence day aliens can always come back <laughs> there can always be a bigger alien than the one they defeated so yeah i so hope they're going to do a second version of, uh, or a second follow-up uh, movie to, uh, to Edge of Tomorrow. So that would be my book tip of the day. Time to uh, talk a little bit more about science fiction because there is something else I've been watching and that is kind of related to science fiction. Um, you may have already seen it, but I want to talk about it a little bit because it is so good. Mike in the chat says, this sounds a little like source code. I haven't seen source code, but... I want to check that out as well. Is that an old movie or something more recent? I see aliens. Little aliens from outer space. And how are things in outer Plutonia? How many times have I told you not to wear your space boots in the house? Go to shape. I mean, you can donate my body to science fiction. Get your suit on! We need you! All right. What I wanted to talk about a little bit uh, and it's going to be a very geeky moment, is Westworld. Based on the original movie Westworld, which is kind of old, but still holds up tremendously. If, you, if you've never seen the movie Westworld, go see it. It is really good. It is tough to watch. It's very violent. Um, but so is the television series. It's an HBO series. It is extremely well produced, very big budget. It's kind of like the science fiction equivalent, I think, of Game of Thrones. Um very different from Game of Thrones, but in terms of production value, incredibly well done. I love the first season. Such a compelling story. Hard to watch from time to time. It's extremely violent. People are being killed all the time. But it is... So the premise is 
there is this society that has created um, robotic worlds. And for a price, you can live out your fantasies in those robotic uh, worlds, one of the, which is a Western world, and you can be a cowboy, and you can kill without consequences. You can do whatever you like because you're just killing robots. And the moment you kill a robot, you, you pay a huge amount of money. So only rich people get to play in this, in this robotic world. But it's a totally believable world. So it is kind of like a real-life version of virtual reality worlds where you can basically just wander around. I'll talk a little bit more about virtual reality in, um, in my Patreon show, Father Roderick to the Max, because, oh my gosh, I've, I've, I've played a few VR games lately, and it feels like you're in a different universe. You're f you feel like you're in a different world, especially with the Oculus Quest, which uh, uh, if you sit down in, in, in Oculus Quest, you actually sit down in the virtual reality world as well. Anyway, there's listen to the Father Roderick to the Mac show. Um, so uh, Westworld takes that idea to the real world where it's robot. But the thing is, these robots are, they, the, the humans that created these robots thought that they could just program them. And since they're slaves in a certain way, no harm done. We'll just fix the bullet holes and then we'll just go for another round. But it turns out that these robots are so well built that they become sentient. They become aware. They have memories of previous lives in which they were killed. And since the entertainment people are constantly adjusting the storylines, sometimes they have memories of things that didn't actually happen in their, in their current storyline, but they're kind of reflections of, of previous programming. Um, and so these robots, of course, at one point are starting to, are starting to, to revolt. Um, what is the word? They, they don't, they don't want to be slaves anymore. They want to be in charge of the story instead of being used as toys, basically, by these rich people that are just going around killing and doing all sorts of other stuff that God forbade. Um, and then, of course, you get this, this very interesting dynamic, of, of, of a bit similar to uh, uh, the, the journey of, um, uh, of Data in The Next Generation, Star Trek The Next Generation, where, where Data more, becomes more and more human over time. Um, and and then wants to be seen as a human being, or at least as a person, instead of just a, a very intelligent, inanimous object. And so it, it, it is this question of at what point does does a droid become a person, and what makes a person a person? What is the what is the true home of free will? and the ability to love and to hate, isn't that ultimately the soul? Is it something, if, it, if it's not in the programming, if it's not in the mechanics of that entity, shouldn't you say that at one point there is a soul? Now, of course, this is science fiction. So, it, you know, we, we don't have uh, sentient droids uh, in, in real life. and uh, But we do have, for instance, animals that have a soul. And we've often used in the past we've often used animals as if they were just machines and in many way our industrialized world still treats animals as stuff as things look at our bio industry you know the the animals that we eat 
and what a horrible life they live um, because they're no longer seen as creatures with a soul, even if it's just an animal soul. But, but even Thomas Aquinas in the Middle Ages already said, animals have a soul. And that soul is reflects something of the life of God. So you have to respect that and you have to be, you know, there. of course there's a hierarchy in, and, and there's only the human soul is eternal, but still there is something sacred about the life of plants and, and of animals as well. And that, that kind of limits what you can do to these these animals. So what I like about Westworld, and I'm, so I'm starting to watch the second season of Westworld, is that in, in a way the the science fiction story about these droids that become sentient and kind of enforce their their uh, the value of their lives to the, these people that have been treating them like like nothing is a reflection, I think, or at least should make us think about the way that we treat treat other creatures in our world that have souls. And so aren't we treating animals oftentimes in the same way that these people in the Westworld story are treating these androids? Um, maybe there's something that we can learn about from, from the story when it comes to our own way of treating cre creation in general. And, and uh, hmm. these, are, these are tough questions. These are difficult things. Uh, just the other day I was struck, I was thinking a little bit about... Um, my life as a vegan many years ago, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I, I lived uh, Lent as a vegan, just as an experiment. But it made me think so much about, you know, the, how well, what am I consuming? And what, what does the industry do to these animals uh, and to, our, our, to creation in general? And shouldn't I rethink my consumption patterns? Um, and and go and make different choices when it comes to meat, for instance, because I, otherwise I'm just complicit in the way that we treat these animals. Do I want to be complicit with that? Stuff like that. Good science fiction gives you a mirror and makes you think. We this is good science are on fiction. the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Yeah, this computer uh, stuff always ends in disaster. Sometimes it does. Uh, Ansgar in the, in the chat asks, what do you think of Newton seeing creation as a clockwork and Elon Musk as uh, a computer? A computer simulation as metaphors. I'm not sure what you mean by that, but um, creation is so much more than a clockwork. Of course, uh, look at yourself in a mirror. You're you're way more than just a computer, and so is anything with a soul, basically. And um, is is uh, uh, is mm, I'm not sure about the Elon Musk thing. I don't know exactly what he says, but uh, I I do believe that. That the creation is so much more than just a coincidental uh, ensemble of of atoms and cells that are reacting to each other. There is way more. Whenever there, wherever there's love, there is mystery. There's something that transcends uh, the 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 mechanistic aspects of life. And of course, we are also incredible machines. But what makes it more than what makes me more than a machine and you more than a machine is our soul, 
and that gives us um, something that will will endure for eternity. Anyway, this is going to be a big philosophical discussion that I don't have time for in this show, but I'll think about it a little bit more. If you can expand on the Elon Musk thing, uh, maybe I'll get back to it in the next episode. Uh, I just want to briefly mention um, a little bit of the the tech stuff uh, that I've been using for the live streams. Um, just the other day, we invited uh, a light guy. So someone who's uh, very good at lighting churches for TV masses because I wanted to let him look at the church and give us some advice on how to make how to light the church in a better way. This is something I would recommend to anyone who is uh, uh, involved in, in helping their parish stream. Or maybe you're a priest and listening to this and you're trying to you're dabbling with this yourself. Don't underestimate the importance of light. We're using colored lights in combination with good professional lighting. However, that's all my stuff. That's stuff that I use for interviews, etc. Um, but it is really worth looking at. Don't just stream what you see from the pews. That's not good enough. When you're filming something, when you're streaming something, you want to get contrast. You want to get depth. You want to create uh, an interesting image. And uh, when, when you look around normally in church, there are so many interesting things to see. But if you zoom in with a camera, all of that disappears. So you have to make sure that what you see is interesting to watch. And light can really help you do that. If you want to get a, this is just a tip, and then I'm going to wrap up. If you want to get get a very good idea of what light can do to an image, look at the Andrea Bocelli concert that he gave in Milan, in the empty Duomo of Milan, so the big cathedral of Milan. Uh, Andrea Bocelli is a Catholic singer, opera singer, um, uh, extremely kind guys, super, um, I mean, just, one of those rare people that are so, you know, just good people in the entertainment industry. He's blind. He's been blind, I think, all his life. But he's got a beautiful voice. And he wanted to give a concert in an empty cathedral. Um, and so they had this challenge of this is a massive cathedral. How do you film that in such a way that it is interesting to watch? Because you can only do so many things with cameras. And light is the key there. So they put lights behind the stained glass windows, for instance. And so you constantly have color in the image. They put them in a place where the some of the background is dark and is barely lit. But then he himself and the guy who's playing the organ, they have good lights on them. But the light is just on them and not on the background. So it's theatrical lighting that they added to the cathedral. And so if you study the way in which that concert is filmed, and it's available for free on YouTube, it's got millions and millions of hits, so it's definitely worth watching. And then they also use some cranes in the church. They have footage that they inserted filmed with drones, so there's a lot of trickery going on. But I'm thinking we should, as priests and as, as parishes, we should look at stuff like that and try to get to that level of quality. So I'm seeing a lot of, in, especially North American streams, I see a lot of modern churches because, well, Catholicism, Christianity in, in North America is a pretty recent thing. So you don't have the benefit of you know, having these old cathedral or old churches. I, my, my church here is 100 years old. Um, 
There are not that many 100-year-old churches in, in North America. But don't just film this modern church, but think, well, what can I do to make that look better? What can I do with spot, spots, with lights? Uh, how can I improve the sound? Oh, just as important as, as the light is the sound. But it doesn't cost much. You don't have to build a cathedral to make your stream look interesting. But you can take a look at your church and think, well, well how, what can I do to create more depth? How We added, for instance, we added candles to the background. We don't have candles like that in our church normally. But for the image, I was like, I need candles. I need to see can I need to see the, this flickering light of these candles in the background because that will create an atmosphere that will can do that will help people uh to, it will establish a certain mood that is more prayerful. And so we've been messing around that church so much in these past few weeks. Um I I may have to create a video about this or something like that. And it's all about creating atmosphere, creating depth making the light work. Um, and you can tell when it's not being looked after in many churches, many streams that I've seen is just a bland picture filmed with a cheap camera or horrible sound. And all of that is to the detriment of what you're trying to do. And that is to help people pray at home. And so I've seen some people comment on Twitter, like, oh, these, these online liturgies, it is terrible. It is a mistake for the church to continue to, to, to stream these masses. It is so, you know, let, let just people celebrate you, uh, liturgies at home uh, instead of watching something on a screen. And I'm thinking, no, what you're reacting to is not, the, is not streaming liturgy as such. It is streaming liturgy that looks horrible. <laughs> it is because we don't have experience in lighting properly and making sure the audio is good. We have to become we have to reinvent the visual nature of of Catholic liturgy. And I've I've seen some streams of of liturgies in Protestant churches. Oh, it looks so terrible because a lot of Protestant churches are terrible. They have they've gotten rid of everything that's visual there are no statues there's no stained glass a lot of these modern protestant churches are all white and ugh. Oy, 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 oy. and and it's when you start to stream that's when you realize how powerful catholic um, churches are because everything is visual but you still need to work hard to highlight the beauty of the churches and beauty in the image is evangelization in itself you have to make sure that our churches are beautiful but you, you need to make sure that your live stream is beautiful as well anyway oh that's something i could i could talk about for a, for more than an hour but i need to wrap things up because i still need to record my special new show father roderick to the max available only exclusively to patrons but this first show will also show up in your feed even if you're not a patron why? Because I had my birthday, and I want to give you a birthday present. So, you'll get two podcasts instead of one this week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a patron if you are. And I will talk to you next week. 